gonna rock this shit. Gonna scream my name. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout. Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the indie revolution.
from his brand new release and we've got Dustin Peterson on the line right now. Hey Dustin, how you doing? 
Hey, Rich, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having us on the show today. I really appreciate you reaching out to us. Ah, no problem. Thank you for coming on the show. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to begin by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are, not only as an artist, but as a person. You know, everyone needs to have that that brand today of who they are as a person. So give us the story of... Dustin Peterson, and of course, of Funky Blooster. Well, this uh, Funky Blooster kind of started as a, a seed back in 1989 when uh, I was in eighth grade. And I met my uh, one of my best friends, uh, Russ Boyer, who plays bass in, in Funky Blooster. And uh, he was in high school, I was in middle school, and we, uh, we were in band together in uh, another high school band story, you know. And uh, so we, we were in the marching band. We figured out we each played guitar and bass. So we started, you know, uh, in earnest, trying to put a little band together. And then, you know, 30 years later, we're able to actually have a, a product to put out with our names and faces on it and music that we wrote. So it's been a, uh, a long journey to get uh, to the second album here. So, But it's, uh, it's been, a good, been a good one. Okay. Now, you know, every musician has that crossroad moment where music, you know, something happens in their life and music becomes an important factor as far as career choices and so on and so forth. What was that crossroad moment for you where you knew that music is something that was important to you to pursue, not only as an avocation, but, you know, hopefully a a future, you know, um, career path? I mean, that's a great, great question. Uh, My earliest memories of, of, you know, childhood revolved kind of around music, Um, you know, some of my, my first memories of, you know, going to concerts and things like that with my grandparents, you know, they were big into to Conway Twitty and uh, things like that. And uh, one of my uh, my other grandparents took me to see a guy who did rockabilly when I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13. You know, I was that's when I was learning to play guitar. And this was just some unknown guy, you know, at a local, local joint. And um, he was playing guitar. His guitar player took a solo on Heartbreak Hotel. And I'm like, oh my God, this is this is it. I can do this. I can I can do what he's doing. So, you know, my, the genesis for me to learn how to really, you know, become a guitar player and really focus on that wasn't wasn't necessarily somebody that was on MTV. You know, even though I loved you know Bon Jovi and Poison and all those guys, you know, that was that was the, the rage when I was when I was growing up. It was just a normal guy playing at a little, you know, restaurant who really showed me that I hey I, you you can do this as a as a normal person. You don't have to be on MTV to play guitar. And I realized at that point, you know, that I, I you know, it's something that as soon as I was able to make the sounds, you know, I'm like, okay, I can do this. I want to, you know, this is something that I want to continue to learn and develop and and as I as I you know grew up into middle school and, and high school it became something that was just part of my identity. You know, I'm like this is this is part of me. The, the music, making music, listening to music, it's it's something that you know, I want to, uh, you know, explore, you know, deeper into, you know, how to create it, how to, you know, I want to have more influences and, and, you know, that down that path, every musician goes down to try to find your own, you know, your own sound and your own, your own voice. And that's still, you know, kind of where we're at. You know, I feel like even after, you know, 35 years of guitar playing, I mean, every guitar player will tell you they're still learning, you know, and if they're not, they're not, you know, doing themselves justice by not continuing to you know pursue 
um, their sound or, or the the next the next best song. You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of where where we're at with it now in our lives. Okay, now uh, let's talk about the new release a little bit. Uh, when you were putting this together, what was that inspirational spark that brought this into existence? Uh, we were fortunate enough, uh, Funky Blooster, which is you know Russ Boyer on bass guitar and uh, Joel Garrison on percussion. We all we live over here uh, east of Atlanta and west of Athens in a little town called Monroe, Georgia. And we were fortunate enough to have uh, a, a weekly residency at a local brewery. So we were able to, to brainstorm every week for you know, a, a little over three years. And uh, every week we'd bring new ideas to the, to the table. And over that time, we, we were able to uh, compose pop, a little over 40 songs. So the process for us with this particular, this new release... Um, was of that, of having a weekly kind of brainstorming session and, and fleshing the songs out and, you know, kind of cherry-picking out of our entire catalog, you know, we've kind of got a trajectory of what songs we want to put on the on each album. So we put, you know, we put one out last uh, April that's uh, called Quality Rock and Roll. That one had uh, the first nine tracks on it. And this, this new one, Expensive and Dirty, has eight tracks. And now we've got it the trajectory you know planned out for the next three um and as you know we're going we're continuing to songwrite so that's um you know just just following uh you know following the muse there and, and putting it together and that's kind of the inspiration you know we want to make music that people like to hear and that we think is good music that's kind of the genesis for you know what we do Okay. Now, uh, let's talk about the songwriting a bit. Uh, who would you say was your biggest influence as far as uh, songwriters concerned? What, what, who's your big influence um, as a writer? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it kind of varies. You know, we, as I, you know, me growing up, um, I was definitely, a, you know, a, a student of of the 60s music you know i was really into the, the doors really into the allman brothers really into you know jimmy hendrix and band of gypsies and that kind of uh, that kind of vibe and but i also been really influenced by 80s rock and roll especially you know hair metal i mean i don't you know funky blooster does not sound like hair metal but just the idea of of a good song you know a, you know a catchy tune a big chorus you know um things like that you know i mean um you know tom petty you know uh you know creating you know tom petty's got that famous uh famous line where you know don't bore us get to the chorus you know, so that's kind of that's kind of where we're we're operating out of right now that headspace where we're trying to to find that little spark that you know is a catchy tune that you know will resonate with people and, and not just be total bubble gum if you know what i mean uh, yeah i know exactly what you mean now um when you sit down to begin that process of writing what is the spark or the um your mechanism let's put it that way that allows you to kind of tap into your muse um you know a lot of times when we're um songwriting we'll, we'll start with a, with a riff or a chord progression or, or something like that and we'll we'll throw out things to each other you know over text message or like hey what about this as a song title or what about that and a lot of it starts with um a song title you know, we may come up with something and, you know, for instance, like expensive and dirty. That was, you know, 
something that one of us I, I said that as after a uh, a trip to Paris last summer, and we, as soon as I said that, we're like, oh my god, that's that, that could be a song. So we sit down and then we start kind of brainstorming, like, okay, we go through the process of kind of telling a story with with you know with all the songs, which you know I guess is what you're supposed to do when you're a songwriter, <laughs> but. Um, that uh, it usually starts with a with a riff or a chord progression. We'll come up with uh, an idea and then just kind of build it, you know, out of that storytelling aspect. Okay. Now, um, a lot of songwriters have embraced some of the technology today as tools in their toolkit, uh, whether it's a cell phone to capture those ideas, those momentary ideas, or it's a home recording studio um, that they can lay out a structure and then write to that, or even using some of the online tools like Master Writer or the online thesaurus and rhyming dictionaries and so on and so forth. What are some of the tools you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Uh, what really works for us is uh, just having the convenience of a of a cell phone, an iPhone, close by, um, where we can you know take a video of the of the chord progression or a video of a riff idea and immediately exchange that with each other and and, and kind of start brainstorming on where we're going to go um, with that. Um, that's really been. Um, uh, an important component of of you know songwriting for us you know we, when we're not together you know every day we, we may get together once a week or something like that you know when we have the residency or um that kind of keeps the process flowing for us being able to exchange ideas you know electronically like that okay now um a lot of songwriters get tripped up on that moment where you have to put the pen down, where you need to move the song from the writing phase into its production phase, where you you know you give it to the band, you you know you start fleshing it out, you know getting the orchestrations done, and um, you know of course songs always evolve. They evolve in the studio. They even evolve after you record them and you take them out on the road. But you got to get to that point. What is your quantifier that you like to use that helps you determine when a song is ready to move to its next phase of life? Oh, that's a great question. Um, usually, you know, we've been fortunate, like I was saying, with our re- with our, our residency over the last few years, we've been able to kind of uh, have live rehearsals and, and, and live test songs, you know, and um, we've been able to, you know, with, with feedback from from uh, audience members and and feedback from uh you know if we listen, let our uh, friends listen to it you know if we're like beta testing or whatever you know we can say this is this is pretty close let's you know let's go ahead and and lay the the, the, the rhythm tracks down and then we'll build it out from there so we've got we've got that capture of it to to flesh out from uh, as far as you know the point where we think it's it's you know it it, it kind of varies I don't think it's anything necessarily quantifiable it's just like once we get a few good verses, you know, we figure out how we're going to, you know, build the chorus and all that. I think then we kind of know, all right, we're getting close to where we can really, really hone in on getting ready to record this number. Okay. 
Now, um, one of the big buzzwords in the industry today is artificial intelligence. And let's face it, it's it's going to be part of our lives. It's here now. We're not really going to stop it. It's just a matter of how do we control and how do we use it. And one of the things with artificial intelligence is that it has really brought some tools to the music industry and the songwriter. Uh, there are tools that uh, there is AI marketing tools now through like Symphony OS and so on and so forth. In fact, CD Baby just added them as part of their package when you release through them. You get access to that Symphony OS AI marketing uh, toolkit. Um, there's uh, AI tools to write lyrics, melodies, chord progressions, beats, uh, bass lines. You name it, it's out there. Where yeah. do you see artificial intelligence going in the future and how is it going to affect not only the songwriter but the industry as a whole uh, that's that's a profound question and you know as far as as far as our involvement with uh with utilizing you know ai and things like that um we haven't you know we've we've toyed around with throwing in you know lyrics and things like that to see what would come out but it's never been anything usable uh we've used some ai to, to try to generate some uh album covers and things like that with uh, limited success um you know as far as using a- ai to to make music i think I, i'm kind of i'm torn a little bit on it because they're you know sitting down at a computer and pushing buttons and arranging chord progressions that you think are cool and then you know you know making up a song over it you know does that make you a musician or are you like a producer now or you know what i mean it's like i don't know if it's how authentic it is as you know but i mean i guess there's you know there's there's a place for that you know um i can't say it's something that we would necessarily pursue in in what we're doing you know but i i think the ultimate goal is is to make music at least that's my opinion and if you use the tools at your disposal to 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 get that you know emotional content across or or to tell that story that you're trying to tell you know and if if somebody can do that by sitting behind a computer and and you know arranging chords through um through software and to to say what they're trying to say i guess there's you know there's nothing wrong with that that's just you know that's their way of expressing their uh you know what they're trying to do um so I mean I, I have no problem with it, but at the same time, you know, you don't want, you know, like uh, I was listening to uh, an interview the other day with uh, I think it was Bruce Botnick, um, you know, producer, and he was talking about how um, there's uh, AI Beatles now, where you know they they can generate AI lyrics and then you make it sound like the Beatles, you know, with with the AI voices and all that. So it's, it's essentially fake fake Beatles, <laughs> you know. Right. So that may be uh, going too far. You know, in, in my opinion, with with AI and the technology, but um, using it as a tool to help you reach your goal as a creative artist, I think is 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 you know that, that's that's great. Yeah, you and know? I agree with you. I mean, you know, and I think the catchword here is tool. Um, yeah. You know, using it as a tool because um, you know I heard an interview with Ed Sheeran on Swedish radio uh, where he admitted that he utilized. Um, 
AI himself as as a tool. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when the drum machine and MIDI first came on the scene. And, you know, the whole music industry was in an uproar over the this technology because they said it was going to, you know, take away from the human feel. It was going to, you know, generally destroy music as we knew it today, as we know it today and back then. Uh, and now it's part of our tool kit it's it's part of our everyday um arsenal that we can use to create music and you know i played around with some of the ai lyric tools and like you said you know a lot of it comes out it's not usable as a self-contained unit right but what i did find is that if you read through those lyrics there are diamonds in the rough within the lyrics that you know oh wow that's a cool little phrase i could utilize that this way so exactly instead of it replacing human creativity i look at it as more of a um how can you put it a uh a spark to human creativity yeah you know something to generate an idea because i mean sure let's face it as songwriters we're constantly listening to conversations. We're looking for that turn of phrase where, you know, we see mm-hmm. a meme or something on, on the, you know, on the Internet. And, you know, exactly. say, oh, that would be a cool title, yeah. you know. You've got to keep your antennas open for that stuff. Right. You know, it's just, so, exactly. Yeah, AI just becomes just another collaborative kind of um, idea generator that battles the front, you know, that blank page. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, um, tell uh, let's talk a little bit about going into the studio, um, because that's where the sound comes from. That's where the identity of not only the song, but of you as an artist comes from. Every artist has their way of utilizing the recording technology to create the sound that identifies them. What is your process for this particular release that helps you get your sound, the sound you were looking for? Yeah, well, this... um you know, we're fortunate enough that we all we all live close to each other, so we're able to, to set up in our studio. And we, um, you know, we did a guitar amp isolation. We did um, bass uh, DI, and then we had the drums set up and with with an assortment of drum mic uh, techniques. And once we uh, we do all of our rhythm tracks that way, and uh, I, you know, I may use a talkback mic just to keep. Uh, you know keep us in 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 check of where we are you know in the song and once uh, once we get the rhythm tracks done we may do a couple of takes you know but usually by the time we're in the studio with those songs they're they're ready to go you know and um we do a couple of takes and then um we uh, you know take download those to the computer and we chop them up and figure out you know what's what what takes the best and then back to you know digital sharing you know sharing of the files um we're able to kind of share those among you know each other to to pick out what we think the best take and from that point we'll you know load them into uh we i like to use reaper you know right now that's that's kind of uh, the software that we're we're using um i load the rhythm tracks into reaper and then you know do a good basic mix you know add some eq some reverbs you know compression stuff like that 
to get a good uh, rhythm track. And then I build it out from there. We may we may get back together and, and do some additional like auxiliary percussion live. Uh, we may do um, some vocals live over those um, over those rhythm tracks. Uh, but for the most part, everything else is done uh, as far as the lead guitars and the guitar parts. That's all done um, in my studio at my house, and the vocals, the lead vocals, are done at my my place as well. And um, Anything else additional, you know, we uh, we add in and kind of um, as needed, if that makes sense. So the rhythm tracks are done together in the room, and then we pepper in the other stuff as, you know, as needed. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, the music industry itself. Um, you know, the, the elephant in the room here is the fact that the consumer has now... Um, embrace streaming as a way to consume music and you gotta you, you can't fault them because it's a no-brainer um for the consumer you know for 10 or 15 dollars a month you know you have access to pretty much everything that's been recorded since in the last 125 years yeah um, right. you know and as an artist the quandary is is that number one if you do not participate you immediately become irrelevant because there are 20,000 songs going up on Spotify weekly um, yeah. and it's easy to get lost in the din and what happens is is if someone hears about you or goes to a gig they go to Spotify they go looking for you and you're not there you immediately become irrelevant you you know they move yeah. on it's just too much to listen to to you know to go any further to try to hunt down someone else's music so that right. convenience now is become part of the mindset of the consumer the other part is that recorded music is no longer looked at as a product to purchase they don't want to buy it they don't want to store it you know, they don't want to put it on their right. shelves. They don't want to put it in their phones, which is now the the delivery device for music. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, we need room for our selfies and TikTok videos. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we can't clog it up with MP3s. That's just not right. So streaming has become so convenient that it's, you know, we don't have to store anything. We don't have to buy anything. It's just there for our consumption. How has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist well you know for us you know we really just you know we released our first uh cd as as, as funky blooster you know last april so we're just roughly a year into it um you know being actually streaming and then having a real product that's out um, with this this new one, you know, expensive and dirty coming out this month. This is our our second album that's actually available, you know, via streaming. But we always make um, the, you know the last uh, th this one and the last one. We make hard copies, you know, digital. We order you know actual CDs that we can sell at the shows um, because our you know a lot of our fan base uh, still likes to have that tangible um, object, you know, uh, souvenir, you know, even um, as just something to you know a little keepsake from from the show or whatever but um it, i can't say how it's really uh affected us i mean i can say that you know we had a, a lot of streams few, you know several thousand streams and a couple album sales digitally and i think we made you know 23 dollars 
<laughs> you know, so, right. But you know, but on the flip side of that, selling the discs at the gigs, you know, we've more than covered our expenses for album production and and recording, you know, fees and all that other stuff. So, um, you know, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, we we've, we've definitely made more money from our physical product than um, than our digital downloads. That's that's for sure. Yeah. But. But you know, and that, that you know, that's I think every artist that's that's on the internet is is in that same situation, you know, where there's, you know, you're, you know, I I read, you know, I don't, I'm sure you know the the actual number, but what is it? it's like? You got to have a million streams to make like 400 bucks or so, you know, something like that, you know, on Spotify, it's like a a fraction of a penny, you know, per stream or whatever, you know. So um, it's definitely, I think, harder. To like you were saying, you know, if if you're not if you don't have a digital presence or streaming presence, that you know you're immediately obsolete, like you said, and that's that's one of the things. Like you know, with with our songs, we try to you know we try to make them you know as catchy as possible. So if somebody grabs one, maybe they'll explore and see the rest of the album, you know, or or whatever. But um, it's it's such a, a, a you know consumer. You know, you know, short short attention span consumer market right now. That it's just you know, like you know, I know like when you were growing up, or you know, you go and buy an album, and it was an experience. Right. You know, it's like you know, you the whole thing is you know, you've got the album, you're, you're digesting the the art, you know, the, the album cover. You're like, what does this artwork mean? You know, you look at the sleeve, you're looking at who who played what, you're reading the lyrics, you're looking at who produced it. You know, all this you know hidden imagery and all that stuff. It's you know, and and the album is programmed in a certain way to give you that whole listening experience. Whereas now, you know, with streaming, it's, you know, it's, if they, they listen to one song. Okay. We like that song. That's it. You know, you're not getting that whole experience of, you know, the, you know what I mean? The tangible, you know, yeah, I mean, well, let's face experience. it. I mean, everyone's listening to music differently today as well. Yeah. You know, when right. when you know when I was young and listening to vinyl because that's all we had. You know, yeah. you would listen from side one to side two, and it was a a very tactile, very involved um, mm-hmm. exercise. Today, yeah, it was deliberate. Deliberate. <clears throat> yeah, it was deliberate. It was a. Uh, it was an. Uh, you know, it was a. Um, an activity that you did, uh, and you would share it with your friends. You'd get together and have listening parties, turn each other on to albums that you found, and so on and so forth. Today, right. I think the consumer is more or less creating a soundtrack to their world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're they're driving home playlist their you know their workout playlist their getting ready for saturday night playlist whatever the case yeah. may be so it's a different mindset and listening sure. but like you had said earlier about you know the fact that you can't make you know you made about 40 bucks off of all those streams the big issue i think here is that the um, the uh pay structure for uh streaming today is not sustainable as a business model. Right. We can't continue to ask artists to create content and not compensate them fairly for it. And to add insult to that injury, now you have Spotify, which just instituted a new policy as of this year, that they will no longer pay any artist that has less than 1,000 streams. 
Now, that may not sound like a lot. And, you know, we're talking pennies per artist. But remember, we're getting 20,000 new songs being put up on Spotify a week. That is an immense amount of content. Yeah. And when you take all of those songs that don't get up to a thousand streams and you add up that money, that's millions of dollars that are going into the profit coffers of Spotify. Because oh, yeah, sure. they're so, not yeah. paying it's like it you're out. Being punished for not having enough streams, right? <laughs> they're fining you for not having enough fans. Well, I mean, it's your money. You know, you yeah. you are still you still should have um, that money come to you, whatever it may be. You've earned right. it by putting your exactly. content up and getting streams. So right. you know, I think that's one hundred percent wrong. Uh, I completely agree. You know that that you know that they're doing that, and so we have to start thinking. Okay, how do we change this dynamic? Where do we go from here? You know what I mean. There has to be a pathway to something different. Now, if you look at the digital revolution, you know we started out with LimeWire, and LimeWire was replaced by Napster. Napster, of course, got everybody in an old tizzy. And then, you know, iTunes comes along with their iPods and Apple and, you know, and they take over the whole industry with the 99 cent downloads. And everyone's going, oh, my God, Apple's going to own the music industry forever. It's such a big company. How could they possibly not? Well, along comes Spotify. Yeah, and all those iPods go into the junk drawer in the kitchen and collect dust. So, you know, now we know just by the fact that the timeline shows this, that something is going to come down the pike and replace Spotify as the next de facto consumer platform. And I'm watching this technology evolve, and one of the most exciting ones that I'm seeing right now are the technology and streaming services that have been developed utilizing the blockchain as an engine for their particular service. Um, There's Audius.co, there's Sonable, uh, there's actually a ton of them out there. And one of the big advantages of these new streaming services is that they are decentralized, which is a big um, selling factor of the blockchain for cryptocurrency, is that it's a decentralized system. In other words, no one company or person can own the service. And what they're saying is because of that, because they cut out all the middle people in this industry, it's a direct fan to artist relationship. Because the only person who can own the service are the fans who pay for the service and the artists Mm -hmm. who put up their content. They're the owners of the service. So they're claiming they can pay up to 80% of the incoming revenue to the artist. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, this is one um, avenue that Mm -hmm. you can, you know, that I see coming in the future. 
Yeah. Now, the other one, and it's using all this same technology, um, is you have something like the Open Music Exchange, uh, ome.audio. And what they do is they allow you to create a marketplace that not only has a streaming service, but you can create digital keys to your music on their service. So people would buy a digital key and then can um, listen to your music by utilizing that digital key. Wow. Their, uh, their concept is, is that they're utilizing NFTs, they're utilizing the blockchain, but they're isolating the consumer from the cryptocurrency aspect of this technology. By creating a marketplace, they're claiming they'll pay up to 98% of the revenue that they get to purchase these digital keys and so forth to the artist. So that's another avenue that is coming down the pike. Yeah. And then now you have the record company. The record company, I mean, we all know that a record contract is nothing more than a bad loan with bad terms. (laughs) I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, they they give you money and then you have to pay back the money, but they put in all kinds of really cool little obstacles that make it almost impossible to pay it all back. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So what do you do as an artist if you wanted to get you know, advanced um, uh, funding for your your projects. I mean, you know, I mean, we've done, you know, the GoFundMe pages and the Patreon pages and so forth. But the fans get to a point where, you know, okay, you know, I've given to this once, I've given to it twice. You know, I don't want to give anymore. Um, And it, it tends to taper down as you go further in your career. Right. Well, there's a site called Royal.io, there's SongVest, um, there's a whole bunch of places. And what they do is they allow you to create these NFTs, these non-fungible tokens, that represent either a small portion of your streaming royalties or your um, uh, publishing royalties that you can now sell to your fan base. It's almost like selling stock in a song. Mm-hmm. Okay. And wow. uh, one of the rap artists I've been watching very closely, Nas, did this on his last release. Is he took two songs and he made enough of these NFTs to cover one half of the streaming royalties on these two songs. Sold it to his fan base and was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. And on top of that, he had 3,000 fans that now had an economic interest in making sure that his music is streamed. Because they get paid. They get paid for... I'm with you. Right. That's a fascinating concept. Well, on top of that... These things, these NFTs, can be bought and sold on an open market, open sea, they call it. Okay. Every time they're resold, he gets a commission off of that resale forever. 
Oh, wow. As they're being traded back and forth mm-hmm. on this open market. So it, it now can take the place of, of the record company. What do you think of all these new technologies based on the blockchain and how they could affect the industry as we move forward? That's that's very fascinating. I, I've not really been keeping up with with that aspect of it, but to, to hear you explain it, you know, to me it, it draws a parallel to um, like touring artists who will do a four wall, you know, and they you know they rent the venue and then they handle all the promotion and, and all that themselves, where they're kind of cutting out the the market or the you know the uh, promoter and all that to where they're taking a bigger you know cut of their own revenue like you know i know joe bonamassa does a lot of that on his tours he's renting out the venues or the theaters or whatever and you know they're recouping a larger percentage of of the money they make instead of having to pay out a middleman which and i guess in this case would be like spotify or another streaming service so if it follows the model of of you know kind of what a lot of the touring artists have been doing i could see it you know definitely uh taking a big chunk of um revenue back towards the artist you know so i think that's a fascinating concept yeah and you know if there was an article in billboard that basically said of all the billions of dollars that are generated by the music industry only 12 percent gets to the artist because there is so many middlemen in the industry yeah there is a trend now to I guess decentralize or or get rid of the middlemen in the music industry and allow a more direct artist to fan relationship where the artist and the fan can now do transactional business directly as opposed mm-hmm. to going through you know gatekeepers and and you know yeah. managers and producers and you know uh distributors and and aggregators and you name it right uh you yeah. know every time you write a song there's a line of people waiting to get paid uh for your work you know uh, right. which you know i think is is the way to go we need to change that dynamic um you know you look at the the actor strike and the uh writer strike you know they are dealing with the same issues that we as musicians are dealing with you know with streaming and artificial intelligence and all of these aspects and they were able to um to create a contract that dealt with those issues unfortunately we as artists or independent artists especially mm-hmm. we number one do not have an organization that can negotiate for us and because the industry is so fractionalized with middlemen and and you know big and small um industries that revolve around us we don't have any entity to negotiate with you know so right. we're kind of lost in in this world uh, of business and our only out at this point is for technology to change the dynamic for us and we then have to attach ourselves to that technology and force that change to our benefit we need to be there before it gets really big so right. we can guide that technology to our benefit to the benefit for sure yeah and i think it's important that we we look at these technologies we 
we, when we find them, we participate in them because we don't know what's going to hit next. Right. And we want to be at that ground floor. We want to be in a position to um, to guide it in the right direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And that, you know, getting ahead of it and getting on board early is definitely, you know, that's what's going to be most beneficial to, to the artist. Yes. Especially the independent artist. Now, one of the things I think... Um, that really ties in with this whole aspect of of this direct fan and artist relationship is that the brand now has become the new product and social media and content creation has become the way that artists today are branding themselves have, have connecting with their fans mm-hmm. and when the pandemic hit you know we all kind of went into lockdown mode And the independent artists started to realize, well, we need to stay connected to our fans. So they started to create content on social media. And they started with some live streams and, you know, they were kind of funky in the beginning. And then they, as the weeks turned to months, they got better cameras, better sound, better mics. And, of course, they had nothing to do but the order from Amazon, a musician's friend. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, you know, they they started to get a little better. And, you know, the live streams became right. more of an experience. Uh, and then, of course, the fan base started to get a little burnt out on it. You know, they said, oh, well, that's cool and all, but I need something more. And so a lot of the independent artists started to realize that they needed to show their fans who they were as people, branding themselves as mm-hmm. people by showing their yeah. hobbies, their their family life, their, their pets, their barnyard animals, their, um, you know, if they go on hikes in the mountains, they take, you know, and... and, and create content and send it up yeah. on on there if they're writing a song they they show the progression of a, an idea to a finished song you know in content um they you know um like mindy abarg you know she does a, a cooking thing with her husband and and mm-hmm. they do like these wine events and you know it's just become part and parcel Yeah. To to the independent armors, you, you know, you're almost creating your own reality show sure. that, you know, people, you know, tend to want to see, you know, what is your life like? Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you are doing to promote this new release and create your brand utilizing social media and, and content? Well, you know, we've got all the, the typical social media sites go and you know our facebook of course um instagram and uh, what we've really started kind of using lately is uh the tiktok and you know you know we'll do some tiktoks before the gig you know maybe a day or two before to remind everybody hey we've got a show coming up or the new album's coming out you know next week or you know whatever you know using that as a as a way to reach you know potentially you know millions of people you know we're not quite that lucky <laughs> yet with our uh, with our stream counts but uh, i would say that you know utilizing um uh, tiktok has been been beneficial for us and um You know, of course, we use Twitter as well. We've had some some good luck with that for uh, people who don't want to do Facebook or, or Instagram. We've had some some good success over the pond with uh, some Twitter um, album reviews and things like that. And uh, so we, you know, we're trying to up our our uh, TikTok 
game. That's what my one of my New Year's resolutions this year is to really, you know, kind of do what you're saying, you know, show more of uh, behind the scenes and and kind of you know get people interested in Funky Blooster as a as a, as a as people and as a, as an entity and to to buy to buy into what we're trying to do, which is you know just play music that we like and we think people will like to hear. You know, we essentially created our own genre. Uh, quality rock and roll that's that's how we we build our brand is that you know you know we play our own music you may never have heard it but we guarantee it you're going to like it because it's quality rock and roll you're going to find something in the music that you're going to you know it's going to resonate with you and that's what we're trying to do with our social media is, is is you know show that and get people to latch on to that as well Okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always oh, man, a, of course. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there uh, an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. Hey, you guys, right on, man. Yeah, you guys are going to love this. You know what? Just turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. <laughs> we're going to have some fun tonight. Awesome, yeah. Best listened at loud volumes. Well, Rich, thank you so much for having us, man. We appreciate your support. And, uh, yeah, it's always good.
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. 